0: This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear New Order on the stereo. So when you're in the Chicago area, drop by the Underground Retrocade for that authentic arcade experience. Not just on weekends, but every day of the week. So if you start your week anywhere else, then you'll have a... wait for it... Blue Monday, the Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Carrington Vanston. And I'm Mike McGinnis. And this is No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Hello, Mr. McGinnis. Hello, Carrington. How are you? Fantastic. What a surprise. (laughs) Shocker. Yeah, totally awesome. Awesome, awesome. It is cold here, though. Canada. Winter has come to it. Isn't it always winter in Canada? No. No. Sometimes it's slightly warmer. Actually, we had a really short but nice summer. But, ugh, so cold now. And there was a bit of snow. Didn't stay on the ground, but there was snow in the air. Snow. White stuff falling from the sky with hatred,
1: Ugh. and you have a new mayor. Uh,
0: that's a good thing. Yeah, you know, could have done worse. <laughs> we really could have just said we're going to pick randomly. Like if there had been, you know, anybody, I would have checked off anybody. Like, you know, how, how much worse could you do? So. Sure. So, so what about you? What's new?
1: Um, they don't care about me. Let's talk about arcade games.
0: <laughs> uh, we got feedback. People care about the stuff we've said and do. Um, oh, you know, speaking of which, I was able to offer assistance to a bunch of our listeners. A whole bunch of people you wrote were. in, trying to play along with Armor Attack, which we talked about last week. All of them saying, maybe not all of them, but I would say six or seven people wrote in that were all saying the sound. I, I had commented that the sound in Armor Attack when you play it in MAME isn't as nice as on uh, a cabinet, mostly because of the resonance that a cabinet gives you. So the... The, right. the tank sounds are much more boomy and it's more squeak 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 when it's out of <laughs> tiny little speakers on your computer. So a bunch of people wrote in saying that they had complete silence when they Ooh. played they weren't getting any sound with armor attack. And so it was the case that they didn't have um, this is one of the few games we've played where it uses audio samples. So, main oh, right. doesn't generate the, the sound file. exactly. So, you need inside your samples folder, um, the collection of wave files that are the sounds for it to play. So, it actually plays just audio taken samples from the game, which you'd think would mean it would sound more like a cabinet. But again, I think it's less about the accuracy of the sound and more about the way in which it's being reproduced. And on my computer and most people's computers, you don't have a deep resonance stuck in or big, big speaker stuck inside a six foot you know, resonating box of plywood. Um, It just makes a real difference to the sound. um, Arcade games in a cabinet just will inherently sound different. So anyway, I I suggest that people do that. We'll also have a link over to, um, on mainworld.info, there's the sort of samples page. And so the current games in MAME that require samples, if you go there, you can sort of grab all the samples for all those games, and then you won't have that problem going forward.
1: Yeah, it's not a big download. I mean, there's like 20 or 30 sample files, and they're all fairly small.
0: Yep. Yeah, so really simple to do. And uh, then you can hear the games as we hear them. A bunch of people also asked about that uh, 3D rendered um, arcade walkthrough video that we linked to last week. That Mm. you said had had sticks music in and teased me. Because it did. It didn't. you... you
1: you were not smart enough to realize that when I started talking about the sticks video, that you should have gone and found that instead of posting the link that I actually sent you,
0: oh, which I you see. did. So clearly, this was my fault. <laughs> yes.
1: I'll, okay. It absolutely, I'll was your fault.
0: Sure. No. No problem. I'm gonna I'm gonna own that.
1: <laughs> so originally in 2000 2001, I guess somebody put together a the one that I was talking about with the sticks music, and but they used a weird uh, QuickTime codec that you can't really find that often anymore. Uh, and so somebody more recently came up with Arcade84, which was the link that we were sent um, and that Carrington foolishly posted for everyone that actually has <laughs> Journey music instead of sticks because whoever put that together has no taste in music. I like Journey. No, you don't. No one likes Journey.
0: That's wrong. I don't necessarily <laughs> like the Journey game, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'll play it. And I, and I like the music of Journey. Sh- so there. So there. Um, oh, but speaking of uh virtual arcade things uh listener egan i'm gonna stick with the listener thing I think um listener Egan wrote in to say or to send us another one of the links, one of his patented wonderful links to share and it's uh Gizmodo arcade um Gizmodo article rather that says this amazing eighties arcade is the best virtual reality trip yet it's fantastic. Have you looked at this Mike yes I have. Really cool! It's huh? fantastic. <laughs> it is fantastic. So it is a virtual reality walkthrough using the Oculus Rift. So you strap that to your head, and then it gives you a VR walkthrough of uh, of a three D rendered classic arcade. So unlike these videos that we've talked about where you just sit back and watch them, here's one where you can walk around inside it. You can play the games. I'm going to talk about that in a second because I have a bit of an issue with it, but you, there's all these arcade games and you hear the eighties the music and you walk around on the, you know, eighties arcade carpet and you can find cassette <laughs> tapes and, and pick them up and put them into a boom box and play that music. So you can select the audio soundtrack as you're playing. You can walk up to a frogger machine and you can play it. Now, one thing I didn't like was most of the arcade games, it seemed, at least in the video of the walkthrough, were not the arcade version. Like it will start playing Tetris and it's Tetris from a Game Boy. Um, or the Frogger was Frogger, I think from like a C64 or something. So that's disappointing. I would want it to be the act, like I don't see why I wouldn't just fire up the main version, but still a really interesting peek into what might be a future. Like right now, I have found that I, I have Fewer and fewer books, like dead tree books. Everything's got digital for me. It's just so much easier. And when you move, so much less packing. So rather than lugging around, you know, 500 pounds of of pulp with ink on it, I now have, you know, a Kindle and an iPad, and it just has all (laughs) my books on that. And increasingly, like, I'm playing a lot of these games in MAME. I've got the two actual arcade cabinets, which which I do very much prefer. But most of the games I play are just on my Mac and I fired up and I'm playing a virtual v- version It'd be interesting. If maybe in the future, then rather than even collecting them, you simply have set out your own virtual arcade, you know, Minecraft or second lifestyle. And then that is your arcade and you set up how you want. And you strap a thing to your head and walk and play. So anyway, just interesting stuff, interesting future ideas. I thought,
1: uh, Paul code, Paul E code wrote in citizen. Paul wrote in and said, uh, uh, Mike and the other guy. I like that. Thank you, Paul. Uh, I really enjoyed the Defender episode, but it took me a while to identify the talk radio segment. That was such a good show. What is he talking about?
0: If you listen to our podcast, you would know that sometimes we put in sound samples of things that are from like commercials and stuff. And also, sometimes I'll put in samples from other things. In that case, I put in a sample from the TV show, uh, talk radio there was a segment where he got a video game which was clearly supposed to be defender but they called it some something defender and um the one guy was completely hooked on it so we sampled from that i see i don't listen to our show i am I'm, I'm a very excellent and nuanced editor you see and so sometimes <laughs> i slap in things like that indeed
1: uh, as to the question of ports versus emulation versus actual games clearly the best experience to the worst are number one in the 80s in an arcade with a new game and a pocket full of tokens Number two, not in the 80s with a working game on free play. Number three, an emulated game on a modern computer with realistic controls. Number four, an emulated game on an old laptop using the keyboard. Number five, an emulated game on an old computer. I'm sorry, an old console or handheld. Number six, an emulated game using JavaScript in a browser. Number seven, an emulated game on a modern-ish console. Number eight, a good ported version of a game on anything. Number nine, an enhanced port with better sound and graphics and improved gameplay. Then he's got that dot, dot, dot. And number 52, modern games. Number 53, not playing any games. So those are are like tied
0: for last in their way down to 52. (laughs) Got it. Okay. Uh,
1: There are arguments against this, but they are all flawed. The play is the thing. One of you mentioned that part of the appeal of the old games was direct manipulation. Part of this is the understanding that one button does one thing, the joystick does pointing or movement and there are no implied states with the rise of fighting games on home consoles and uh with limited buttons it took arrow up arrow left left to do a chuck norris roundhouse kick this ruined the minds of children everywhere keep up the good fun paul
0: we will uh listener lisa you know what if you're going i'm gonna have other titles too then uh baronet lisa <laughs> wrote in why no not? yeah Baronet lisa wrote, Citizen wrote in lisa to say uh great armor attack restore point us to another link she did an egan style email uh great armor attack restore video or sorry website hmm, sorry lisa i'm chopping up your your emailer overview at f monks arcade so she sent us a link over to king hyphen dead.net and um it is indeed like there's this uh, like, as we talked about how you can get these cabinets for a huge range of price from super, super cheap if they're kind of junkers to crazy outrageously expensive if they're pristine. So clearly the way to go is to get a bit of a junker and maybe restore it. And so, um, Lisa has sent us a link to an armor attack restore overview and I will make sure we cool. put that link in the uh, show notes. So in case you want to take that route, you can, you can be led by example. Uh, sovereign prince Greg wrote in <laughs> to say. To say hello guys, really enjoyed your last episode on Defender. Don't worry about feeling like you came up short and doing the famous game on this. With the popular titles, I think it's more important that your podcast entertain people and perhaps educate them if they don't know as much about it as everyone else seems to, then try to repeat everything on the net about it. It was entertaining and fun to listen to, like always. And there's a reason that Defender was one of the biggest money makers in the arcade. No one could make a quarter last longer than five seconds. This is definitely a game that was too... Too hard for kid me, and I was glad for the twenty six hundred version as a kid, which was much easier to play and yet just as much fun. Even today on Mame, I struggle staying alive in this game. Gentleman Rogue Sean wrote in to say, "I'm gonna have fun with these." <laughs> hey there, guys! Belated Happy Thanksgiving to Carrington. Early Happy Thanksgiving to Mike. First, just want to comment about your Defender show. I couldn't help but notice that between the show and listener feedback, in armor attack. Nobody mentioned this significant piece of info. Defender is apparently the reason that Twin Galaxies became the keeper of the high score records. Lore has it that a player got an amazing score at Twin Galaxies, and Walter Day called Williams to find out if anybody... ...if there was anybody with a higher score. Williams, however, didn't record scores on any of their games. So Walter took it upon himself to handle it, and the rest is a very strange history. And I salute both of you for your Defender scores. I went to the Underground Retrocade this past weekend, and the first thing I did was spend about a half an hour on the Defender machine. Scott said to me, trying to win a free pop, huh? I said, dude, right now I'm just trying to concentrate on beating my own crappy high score. My own crappy high (laughs) score, (laughs) 13,500. This weekend, though, I couldn't even clear the first wave... I couldn't even Aww. get to a five-digit score. Good God, do I suck at this game. <laughs> I know the feeling. Viscount Mark wrote in to say, you know, from the Lock is let, Lit Podcast. Hey guys, I'm glad Novector is in full swing. You mentioned the Adventure Vision Defender port, but I'm wondering if you know the interesting mechanical hardware behind the Adventure Vision. It has LEDs. It has mirrors. It has friggin' motors. Here is a video by someone else that can explain it much better than I can. So he sent us a video to a really nice nice, he sent us a link to a really nice video from uh, something called the Bit Museums channel on YouTube. It's Weird Retro Video Games. And this is the episode entitled The Smoke and Mirrors of Entex Adventure Vision. So watching the video, I learned two things. This was a remarkably complicated piece of kit that I cannot believe survived any length of play. It's crazy what's going on inside that thing. And it's also understandably hugely collectible. Also, I learned that it's a weird combination of very exact um arcade gameplay like when you look at the defender the 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 motion and the firing like so much of it is is like so much more like the actual arcade game than most home versions would have been but at the same time all done in this like just dark red wobbly image so it's sort of like playing a a mame imagine if you took like the nintendo virtual boy so it's sort of like if you played MAME in a Virtual Boy is what it looks like. So all you get are, is red as an image, but with a decent gameplay. So it's an odd combination. So much more funky than I thought it was. So uh, I really enjoyed looking at that video. And I will make sure that it's in the show notes. Um, What else do we have? Marquis Mike wrote in to say, I just got done listening to the Joust episode, and I noticed there is an element of the game that you guys omitted. There is a level not too far in where the ground at the bottom of the screen is replaced by lava. Not only can you not land on it, but if you get too close, a creature's arm reaches up out of the lava and pulls you in. At least that's what I remember. Thanks for the great show. I thought we had mentioned that, but he's listened to that just episode, Joust episode much more recently than we did it. So he's probably correct that we, we failed to mention it or it got cut or something. Because I thought we had said that. Certainly, I, I would have intended to say that because it is one of the big features of the game. What do you think, Mike? Had we said that in the show? I thought we said it. Then that's it. Mike's wrong. This Mike's right. <laughs> but Mike versus Mike battle. Actually, we pro- if he just listened to it, probably we forgot to say it. But definitely, I would have intended to.
1: I think it probably got cut out. Um, and I, I think, I think probably neither you nor I got got far enough into the game where we actually experienced that.
0: <laughs> no, that's only like
1: level three or something. I know we didn't get very far into that game.
0: Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> um. Okay, let's do one more. Grand Duchess Stephanie wrote in to say, Hi guys, just wondering if you ever thought about featuring the Bally game Wacko on your show. It's a personal favorite of mine because of the very unique cabinet design and controller choices. And so she sent us a link over to the Wikipedia article for Wacko. And she concludes by saying, enjoying the show as always. Thank you very much, Stephanie. Definitely um, something we wanted to add to the list of games to consider particularly she's right the cabinet in that one we'll spend a lot of time talking about that that very very strange cabinet it's one you can you can spot from across an arcade and very very clearly see what it is even in silhouette so what is this week's show mike
1: well, Carrington, I, I thought we were going to play vector games all of November, but we called this No Vector, which to me means No Vector Games. Isn't that right?
0: No, it is wrong. We are playing vector games.
1: Well, we are playing vector yes, games. Yes, well, all in this case, vector games. In this case, we're playing Atari's uh, 19... Well, what I saw was... Uh, I saw a lot of references that it was 1980, but I think it was released in 1981. This is Red Baron, a, a flight simulator vector game.
0: It's Battle Zone in the Sky.
1: Um, yeah, it kind of felt like that, only without the weird controls.
0: Yes, because, it, well, kind of half the weird control, but you're right, it's no, not the two joysticks for a tank control, it's just a single one, because you are flying a biplane, you are playing the eponymous uh, Red Baron, and you are shooting down all the good guys, I guess, is how this works.
1: <laughs> Manfred von Richthofen, who shot down 80 Allied planes, I guess, during World War One. so... So yay for for killing good guys unless you're <laughs> German in which case the Allies were the bad guys.
0: Right. <laughs> so it is like we say a another vector game. I do love vector games. This one is a black and white vector, but with a color overlay over top of the screen to give it a bit of a tint. Um, I dug the graphics, but I love I love black and white graphics games. Um, it's a fun point of view in this. So you're 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 not looking at the, the the plane on screen. You're in it. So you're actually looking From the cockpit out, so it's all done in 3D, just like Battlezone, where you're looking out from the tank. Here, you're looking out from your plane, and of course, therefore, right in front of you is the propeller, Um, and it's a great graphic for the propeller because it's just a couple of lines that sort of flash in an arc, which really makes it feel like there's a very fast-moving propeller right in front of you. Love that effect. And Mm, on the the bezel art around the monitor are painted on two machine guns, so kind of tells you hey you can shoot from here and then and that's it the controls are really simple it's basically a one-button game where you you fly your plane and hold down the button to fire um and then your bullets are tiny little sparkles of of dots you could kind of send out like popcorn at the bad guys but the bad guys bullets are like, these huge diamonds that come slowly <laughs> at you so it's it's kind of strange and it also means that you can sort of avoid bullets like so you're in bullet time no wonder he was so good at shooting down the allies <laughs> I think so so that was that was fun and for the most part you're battling against two different enemies there are planes and there are blimps oh and sorry no there's also there's also stuff on the ground the pillboxes and weirdly pyramids and stuff so yeah there's pillboxes um,
1: turrets there's buildings on the ground and up above then you have the the biplanes and the zeppelins
0: so this was programmed and i think designed by rich moore who did lunar lander and roadrunner and then race driving so he's got some big um Atari titles under his belt. Um and then Jed Margolin did the math box, or rather, he's credited with math box. And I don't know whether that means he made the code or made the thing that is called a math box, or he is just being referred to as he is Atari's math box, for all I know, like because the other person is technician and and Jed is Mathbox and he was hmm. also the Mathbox for the Star Wars series and for Battlezone and for Tempest. So and I really don't know what that t- I think it means he was the Mathbox like go go to Jed to get your vector math stuff done um rather than he made a thing called a Mathbox. or for all I know a, a, there is code called a Mathbox. I don't know, but I really like the term and I and I'm now really aware of who he is.
1: Well there there was the, the, the this is a a unique vector game in that it uses like well, I guess it's not unique but uh, like Battlezone, it uses an auxiliary board to perform the mathematical computations needed for the the simulated three D environment uh, that that they that they present. Oh, so in that this must be game. the math box. Yeah. Uh, oh, they, it's called the uh, called the analog vector generator circuit boards. I, I know that by switching the proms out on that that vector board, you could turn this game. That's how you turn this game into Battlezone, or turn Battlezone into Red Baron if you really wanted to go that way.
0: Yeah, I think battles. Battlezone needs also a, an additional board to be upgraded to Red Baron, but Red Baron, you can just change proms because uh, it's got okay. like more hardware. You can go backwards because most, most Red Barons are actually Battlezone cabinets. They get an auxiliary board, some ROM changes, and then a new control panel, and bingo, you've got a Red Baron, which didn't sell nearly as well as Battlezone. Um, <laughs> that's disappointing, though. I was hoping that Jed was the MathBox. <laughs> I'm Jed MathBox, Well, I,
1: I assume MathBox was the probably... Set of code that needed to be done, yeah. and then Jed was the one who controlled that. So it makes sense to call him the
0: Math Box, since he's the one that programmed it. I'm going to continue to call him the Math Box. Sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> um... So in the game, uh, like you were saying, enemy planes are are probably the biggest enemy. The most most attacking comes from them. And uh, at first it's pretty easy because you get one at a time, but then later they start to come in groups of like two, three, four. I never got more than four. Um, but then it's tough because there's four of those on screen shooting. their really big, slow bullets at you and there's just you. If you fail to shoot a plane down though when it's on screen, that's when you're in trouble because it'll fly past you, spin around, and now it's behind you. And... I found that it will almost inevitably shoot you down very quickly, so it's really important to not let them get past you. If they do, you're kind of dead. You are able sometimes if you execute it right to ev- to evade them if the planes get behind you. So it seems to be. and I read this as a tip, and it seems to kind of work, but maybe I'm just too slow at it because it didn't. It often didn't work for me. So if you're down low to the near the ground in the mountains, then what you're supposed to do is immediately climb up and roll to either the left or right and then that'll slow you down so that when you're climbing and the enemies don't slow down as much so they'll shoot past you then it means they're back in front of you and kind of start again and try to shoot them down if you're high up what you have to do is dive down and roll um which won't slow you down and you'll keep the same speed as the bad guy but it lets you therefore get low enough that you can climb back up so it seemed to me when i was playing i started doing better and better by trying to stay down low so i was always in a position where i could just do that climbing maneuver if a bad guy got past me the problem is of course you can run into the mountains so i stopped <laughs> getting shot by behind as much and i started running into mountains more so i guess it's six of one half a dozen of mountains so. sounds good yeah there's also blimps i like that they're blimps they're, they're fun to look at because they're they're you know big vector balloons basically and they're slow <laughs> um uh you're way you're going way faster than them um so you have to shoot them right away you won't you won't be able to get back to them um but since uh they're not going to shoot you from behind it's like not a if if I didn't shoot them, I'd be like, oh darn, I lost some points, but I wouldn't go into panic mode the way I would if I missed a, if I missed a plane. Also, the blimps are sometimes hard to hit because they're sometimes viewed straight on, and so it's a much smaller target. And it seemed also, it, it made it harder to hit than even the size would indicate. So it seems like there's an area around the outside of it when it's head-on that even if I hit it with my bullets, it wasn't counting as you know, popping the balloon. So it seemed to cheat a bit, I thought, on the blimps. Yeah, that was my experience as well uh oh then there's the ground targets like you talked about so the pillbox and buildings and tanks and for some reason pyramids i don't know why there were pyramids Mm. but there are pyramids that you can shoot (laughs) so like what's up with that and then the point values are all pretty small in this i mean like 100 points going up to the maximum you can get for a shot is 300 points like and that's what you get like the blimps are 200 as a fixed value the tanks are 250 fixed value but the fighter planes the enemies the value you get is determined by how far away you shoot them and you, th- I thought it would be the opposite way around. Like the closer they are to you, the more likely they're to hit you or you run into them. So they're much more dangerous as they get close. But the point value actually decreases as they get closer to you. So when they first appear on screen and they're tiny, if you shoot them then, you can get 300 points. If you shoot them when they're really close to you, you can get as low as 10 points for them. Um, so I thought that was interesting. So the goal is to try to shoot them as far away as possible, mostly because you get more points, but also because it's much safer if you do so. So it's, but anyway, I thought it was kind of weird that as they get more and more, dangerous and close to you, you actually get fewer points for shooting. You lose
1: points for, for, for allowing them to get that close.
0: And your guns can overheat.
1: Oh yeah. There's, there's that too, which is kind of a neat, uh, sort of a neat thing because it, it makes it, it, gives it a realistic feel. I, I know that, 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 um, that was a problem with those, with those original biplane combat biplanes was that those, those weapons would overheat if you overuse them.
0: You have experience with that, do you?
1: I do, yeah. I'm actually the Red Baron. I wasn't killed. I knew it. Um, yep. I've just been hiding out here in Colorado since uh, since 1918.
0: I thought you suspiciously had that guy's name mm. on the tip of your tongue. Yep, that's it. <laughs> I, I I arched an eyebrow at that. Uh, um, this is uh, this definitely is a
1: 1980 81 game. It feels like oh, it. Yes. You know, it's it's, it's the, uh, the the vector graphics are black and white. There's no color in this. Uh, the sound is minimal. You have the the explosions and the shooting, and then there's sort of a noise that's, I think, supposed to be the engine. Um, there's a, a a charge theme, you know, that kind of plays a little bit when you shoot down an enemy. But other than that, there's no music at all.
0: Yeah. It, really, only if you shoot them, you get the 300 points, too. You know, it's like right. if you shoot them, that's how I would know i hit them at the far distance. You get the 300 points and you get that little doot-doot sound. Exactly. So yep. Yeah, yeah. but you're right. There's like no, there's no music I guess it's just that that droning, which I guess is supposed to be the plane's engine. So the Baron didn't have uh, tunes with him. So the Baron just listened <laughs> no, to the hum of his no. engine. That's how the Baron rolls. That's right. <laughs> you would
1: know uh, this. This game is difficult. Can be can be challenging because it depends on where you play it and who's played the game before you. Because this is it uses what's called an adaptive difficulty. It averages the game time from the previous thirty two games played and uses that to adjust its difficulty. So if you had a bunch of really good players before you, this is going to be a very hard game.
0: So if you want to go for a high score in this, you have to play 31 terrible games. That's right. And then focus. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because if you had its easiest... Uh, it, I, I found that, that interesting, but I didn't see that because I only got to play it a few times. I don't know if it's saving that state. In fact, I know that it's not in my main setup because when I load Mame again... Um, when I come back to the game, the high scores would be reset. So right, so you
1: would not have experienced that because, yeah, and that—that's a setting you would have to turn on in main because it uses the original machine used NV RAM to to score the to to store the top three scores, um, as well as all those average game times. So even if you turn the machine off and turn it back on again, unless unless you went in with the dip switches and wiped those out, they're still going to be there, and you can turn those features on in main, but you have to do that manually. It's not there by default.
0: Aha. Uh-huh.
1: Uh, there, uh, Andy's arcade.de has a great page and he talks about the the different types of cabinets and, and the numbers made and things like that. But first Carrington, why don't you tell us about the cabinet?
0: It uh, never came in one. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> so actually, there was both an upright and a cockpit cabinet. Uh, no cocktail. But I love a cockpit. Like an environmental cabinet, I love a game that comes with a with a uh, cockpit cabinet. So, and I
1: think I think a, a flight game like this definitely sort of benefits from having that feel of sitting down like you're actually in the cockpit of the
0: airplane. Exactly. In fact, the best way to play this game would be to load this into an actual airplane. And then like maybe with a parachute, they just push you out the back. And then on your way down, you play the game. I think oh, that would see. be the most immersive experience. Sure, yeah. But if you can't do that, MAME is probably a good second choice. <laughs> so um, both the upright and the cocktail use the same controller. So it's uh, an eight-way, a single eight-way joystick with the fire button on top of it. Uh, that's not how I played because I don't have a joystick like that. But you can play it with a normal jo- eight-way joystick and just a button. So very easily done in MAME. Um, the flight stick on the cabinet is, is like one of the Battlezone joysticks. You know how those... Those joysticks have a very square feel, like they're like tall rectangles so rather than being round. That sort of feel with the button on top, it's, it's one of those. It really is using a single battle zone joystick in the center, that squarish version. Um, so uh, we talked about how it's a black and white monitor, but it's got a color overlay. And it's not color like stripes of color or, or like last week talking about armor attack, where the overlay is the color parts drawing in the buildings. Here it's really just blue. It's giving mm-hmm. just a blue hue to the whole thing. <laughs> so when you play it, in mame, that's why everything looks a little bluish. It's because it's supposed to be just there's a blue sheet over the monitor. I guess it's supposed to be a sky effect, is what they were thinking of. But I, I would have thought you could add some graphics, add some clouds <laughs> or something. But nope, just just a sheet of blue. Um, so, like I said, there's an upright and a and the cockpit cabinet. Upright is. Well, it's you know the less exciting of the two. Still a great looking cabinet. It's red and black, um, like you said at the beginning. The screen says copyright 1980. In fact, it's always on screen saying 1980. It's Atari 1980. It's really excited about that. Mm-hmm. It never goes away. Um, but it was actually released in June 1981, which is after the cockpit version and that came out in May 1981. So the cockpit came first. Um, it's a very upright. It's not only an upright cabinet. It's a very upright cabinet. The monitor in it is almost completely vertical. It doesn't lean back. It's like the opposite of a Pac-Man. So it's it's um, almost like it's standing at attention. So I guess that's good for a warm one. Um, it's got this really striking World War I Germanic design to it with the iron cross. And the like I had said, the bezel art looked, it's on on over the monitor, not the overlay, but the bezel looks like it's got these dual machine guns on it. It's got full height side art, which is really nice. Again, with the big iron it on it and, and this colorful stripe uh, the control panel has the scores so you can get like sort of instructions in the score list on the left along with the start button. The middle has a joystick, and over there on the right are the instructions and some fake gauges. I love fake gauges on (laughs) on a control panel. So you look down, and there's some little gauges there telling you nothing because they're fake. Um, And then down in front, it's one of those ones that has a step sticking out of it. So little kids could step on it and see the monitor. Um, So just like Battlezone had the same thing. I always figured with Battlezone, it was because it had that scope you had to look through. So you had to view the monitor from a particular angle. And here... The step is there, I think, just because these are for the most part converted battle zone cabinets. So this wouldn't really need a step, but you get one anyway. Um, there are only 1,500 of them made, so they're pretty collectible. And most of the Red Baron machines, the upright ones, were factory converted battle zone cabinets. So it wasn't that you could get a kit, although those were sold as well. It was that there were a bunch of leftover battle zone cabs, and Atari turned them into um, Red Barons. So a lot of times with the Red Baron, If you run your hand along the side art, you can feel the shape of the battle zone art underneath it because they stuck the side art right over top of the battle zone stuff. So that's it. So you can sort of peel it off and you've got a battle zone. Um, and it was a basically, like we were talking about before, a one way conversion because Red Baron's like battle zone hardware plus the auxiliary board so um, battle zone will run on a red Baron but not vice versa unless you move that auxiliary board over and also the controls are different so even if they could run each other you're missing a whole a whole joystick if you convert it to, uh, back um, but of course the big collectible one is the cockpit cabinet because any cabinet you can sit in is automatically awesome uh, it's a white and black cabinet with big painted side art it's got this big image of a biplane and the red Baron logo on the sort of the what I would what I would call the oh triplane sorry what I would call the the back of it but really I guess it's the front of the part that's behind you <laughs> <Like> the, the, <laughs> the side facing out whether we call that the, it's the front of the plane but the. Is that the front of the cabinet also or the back of the plate? Something like that, yes. Back of the plane, front of the cabinet. Uh, So it's actually made of two pieces. So there's the the front part and the back part, and they, they sort of attach together, which was designed so it makes it easier to ship and move, which also means that sometimes you can find only the front part of it and the back part's gone. But at least that doesn't have the electronics in it. You can maybe recreate it. There's only 500 or so, I think 504 of these ones made. So they're also super collectible. Um and again this one came first because it came out in May, versus the it was June eighty one was the upright. Both are super expensive cabinets to get and both have that monitor that likes to die. So if you get a cabinet and the monitor's dead, it probably needs recapping or the flyback or something, the monitors on them go on these vectors, which is unfortunate. But everything else is pretty pretty easy to, to keep running. So it's a monitors you gotta look out for keep spares in. I want one. I want one of these uh these cockpit cabinets. Cockpit and vector, that is a combination I like. I want one life. of each, actually. <laughs> do you? Okay, do just do degree, I, do you? I, Well, I Remind you is, of home?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> because he had a, a Transylvanian accent for some reason. <laughs> 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 the, um, uh, I, I like the look of both of these cabinets very much. Even the stand-up is, is, is unique. You know that it's a Red Baron as soon as you see it. Um, the... The original monitor that came with these, the one that failed really, really frequently was the, the, the Electro Home G05802. Um, and they were later replaced with the Wells Gardner 19V 2000s, which were more reliable. Uh, so if you find the ones, if you find, if you're looking to collect the cabinet, um, and you, you, and you find one that's got the, the monitor that's still working, that's probably going to be worth a lot more. A few prototypes, uh, of the cat, of the stand up cabinet exist in the wild. There's a, a picture over on uh, rothblog.com. We'll have the link in the show notes. And it's a, a side-by-side comparison of the prototype, um, which actually doesn't look nearly as cool as what they finally released. As far as the, the hardware um, inside the machine, it, uh, Red Baron consisted of three PCBs. It had um, um, the AVG PCB, the, which is the the vector generator that we talked about. That had a, a 6502 a CPU running at 1.5 megahertz. Uh, it had 16 K of ROM. The, the 6502 CPU was supported by a vector state machine, a VSM on the same board, which took care of the vector graphics display by reading the graphics information. Uh, and then the 6502 actually, um, the purpose of that chip was to, to deposit the, the graphics information into the vector RAM um, out of the out of a shared memory pool, if that makes any sense. Uh, the second board was the more complex three D computations uh, auxiliary PCB. It contained four twenty nine oh one bit slice processors. Uh, this was the math box CPU. So there you go, Carrington. Um, and the third PCB was the AR two, the audio regulator, which did all of the sound output, such as it was, and that regulated DC voltages and amplified the sound from the AVG. Uh, the sound was generated by the Atari Poke chip with four independent voices for music and sound effects, although, again, there wasn't much music there. Um, and so it's a fairly complex system going on in that box.
0: Yeah, I still prefer to think that Jed Margolin was the math box.
1: Sure. Yeah, no, that's much cooler.
0: And that he's just inside. That's why they're so expensive. He just, you put a quarter in, Jed gives your call, say, I'll be right over, and then Jed comes over, gets in the box, does some math.
1: I think he has math box tattooed across his back, sort of like Robert De Niro had in Cape Fear. Those tattoos,
0: <laughs> yes, math box, very intimidating. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh,
1: so yeah, and uh, this is not a game that you necessarily. I mean, it, it plays just fine on on Mame. You don't you don't need it the the cabinets because it has the um, it's just a stick and, and, and a button. Even though the button on the original is a thumb button on the stick. You can easily, you know, uh, the a fire button on a an X arcade plus the joystick work just fine. But I still want them both.
0: Yeah, very much. I really, I really like playing the game, and I like these cabinets a lot. I love vector games anyway. Um, I love the late nineteen seventies feel that they have, and I just, I just dig them. I dig the simplicity of it, and I've always liked the look of a vector monitor. So when it's a game whose gameplay mechanics I enjoy, then it's just all the better. And if it's in a cool cabinet, like this cockpit, then I, you know, bring it just, yeah, to- totally on board. Uh, Red Baron was, was ported to a few
1: different platforms, including the Bally Cave, where it shared, uh, it shared a, a cartridge with Panzer Attack. Uh, it also appeared on later, much later on the the, the PlayStation uh, 2 or 3, I forget which one, with new graphics, uh, and apparently the gameplay on that ruined the, the experience. It's, it gets universally bad reviews.
0: There was the like, Red Baron modern game, which is totally panned. And then there's also the sort of the port of this. which was part of the something called the Atari Anthology that came out for Xbox, mm-hmm. PlayStation 2, and I think on Windows. But that's an emulated version of the original. So it's not actually a port. It's like a, not main, but an emulation Of the original game it's an odd combo also kind of panned too um (laughs) neat though that when you play that it the the screen uh puts up parts of the cabinet and of the bezel art surrounding it so it gives you like sort of a glimpse at the monitor when you're playing the version i guess it's the only thing to recommend it but it doesn't look that great and then it was released again a different version uh for the xbox 360 and i think for windows as well as part of that that microsoft game room thing that came out in 2010. So it was on that as well. I think that's not the emulated version. I think that's an actual port. But again, of the, of the original game. Um, that one was... I, oh, I see the release So I was double checking. It was 2010. It was March 24th, 2010. So it was on my birthday, it was a little celebration for, of me. Happy
1: birthday, Carrington. Here you go.
0: <laughs> Here you go. Have a Red Baron on Windows.
1: Oh. <laughs> Aw. All right. So how'd you do? Uh,
0: poorly. To be honest, uh, like you know, these games yeah, tough me games. Too. I found this on this game as well. This is hard. Uh, it's yeah, it's, it's really easy to sort of. And it's not that the, it was ramping up the difficulty. <laughs> I wasn't getting into that. I'd only play a couple of games at a time. Um, it was more sometimes you just lose concentration. A couple of them get past you, and bingo, they take you out. Those planes get behind you, and you're doomed. So it's so much about trying to shoot them while they're in a the distance and making sure you get all the planes. Stay low so you can do that rising thing if they get past you and try to pick up a bunch of points by shooting ground targets. Oh, you can also shoot through the mountains, which is cool. A lot of times there (laughs) will be buildings on the other side of the mountain. If you shoot it, you can hit it through the mountain. But you have to remember you can't fly through the mountain. So a lot of times you're shooting, you can't tell that it's safe to fly someplace just because you're shooting that way. Because your bullets will go places your plane can't. So, huh, nice coding there. Um, Anyway, I did okay like acceptably but not great if you look at youtube videos of play online everybody does better than me it seems (laughs) but well what can you do so my high score for the week looking at my screenshots here is there's two of them okay so 16,530 16530 was my my best score it's hard to we should talk about the initials as well how hard it is to enter those stupid things but 16530 was what about you mike how'd you do
1: well i did a little bit better than you carrington um i got 28,660 points but
0: I did not. That's not a little better. That's hugely better. Oh, Holy it's moly! Not. 20, well, it, it sounds
1: it sounds hugely better until you see until you see the the world record, uh, and then you realize that it's not that big a difference. World record was set by David Palmer, and his score is four hundred forty-seven thousand eight hundred sixty points.
0: Well, yes, that's also better. But on a game like that, like on a lot of games, like doubling, basically you've you've not quite, but almost doubled my score. And a lot of games you would be like, well, you shot three more things to get another twenty thousand um but in this game like when you're getting sometimes 40 points a shot 50 point like you know, getting 12,000 more than me is like a massively better game like so yeah, no you you wipe the floor with me this way holy cow i
1: got bet i i got really good at you know you'd mentioned it's very important to shoot these things as soon as you see them way off in the distance, because that's 300 points versus 10 points. So I got very good at that and, and very good at, at not letting those things get behind me because you're, you're, you're instantly dead as soon as that happens. So.
0: Right. but still, uh, wow. The games went on. Yeah. Mine. I did. I did. I'm, I'm still happy with my score. Like most of my scores were much lower than that. I, if I would beat yeah, 10, mine 000, too. I'd be mine, very happy with it, but
1: mine generally hovered around 10 to 12,000. So. I did have a couple of good games and that was one of them. Uh, this is no vector um, again we're we're talking about vector games all this month. We have three more games I think ahead of us because it's a, f- uh, a five five Thursdays or five Sundays or whatever in in uh in November this month, which is cool for us. Um, in general, I as I was doing some research and reading about Red Baron, I stumbled across this webpage called uh, it's a Somebody's personal page, M. Uh, it's uh, jmargolan.com, and we'll, obviously we'll have the, the links in the show notes. This person has a, a series of articles. They're called like The Secret Life of Vector Generators, The Secret Life of Vector Monitors, Programming the Vector Generator. A lot of really in-depth information about how vector games are put together, run, and that sort of thing. Really, really interesting reading if you're into the technical part of, of vector games. Definitely recommend checking those out.
0: Very cool. Yes, I'm looking at it now. Nice. Yep. The Road to the Transistor. Yes. Nice. Pay no (laughs) attention to those folks behind the curtain. Atari and Atari (laughs) Games, their memos, 1982 to 1992. Nice. Look at these. Lots of stuff here. Very cool. Yeah, definitely. We'll have this in the show notes.
1: So between that page and and the one uh, that that Annie's Arcade.de has on the Red Baron, a lot of really great reading material. Um, And in the meantime, I, I guess we will pick another game to play.
0: Mm-hmm. And what will it sound like?
1: Why, Carrington, it sounds like this. And that brings us to the end of another... What, what podcast is this? No Quarter. Ah, No Quarter, that's correct. Uh, we'll see you next week, everybody.
0: you've been listening to no quarter the classic arcade podcast feedback can be sent by email to no quarter at monsterfeet.com or you can find us on facebook as no quarter podcast and on twitter we are at no quarter show you can also find us on both the throwback network and the real retro junkies network all of these links, plus the show notes, are available at monsterfeet.com. And like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain.